There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You don't own me. Booking a room with two beds at a hotel isn't exactly your idea of a romantic getaway. Orbitz gets it. Visit orbits.com slash pride to find hotels that welcome you to travel as you are. Orbits, travel as you are. So just let me be myself to say and do whatever I mean. Hello, my name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to a very, very special episode of the No Encore podcast. It's the revisit in which we go back to a year in Irish music between 1980 and 2005 and we try and assess the gold standard of records from that time. Think of it like an alternative choice prize. Please don't sue us, the choice prize. <laughs> yeah, the year this time is 1988 and essentially the way we work is that we start with a long list, get twittled into a short list and a panel of experts uh, like I have here before me try and see if we can come to some kind of agreement without killing each other. So... Today, I am joined by ethnomusicologist <laughs> and headstuff contributor, Andrea Cleary. Hello. You'll never let that go, will you? Oh, What's yeah. an ethnomusicologist? <laughs> yeah, so here we go. It, t- it took you years to become this. Of course, I'm not going to let this go. <laughs> Again, am I doing? Okay. Yep. Uh, it's, it's a person who studies uh, the music of other cultures and how it relates to their societies. So I'm more than willing to admit, I thought you said ethnomusicologist, <laughs> and I was wondering who ethna was and why we were studying her, her oomphrey. <laughs> Well, none- nonetheless, uh, the golden voice of Irish radio, Rick O'Shea, will have to raise his game. Yeah, entirely, entirely, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> glad to be here. Right, thanks for having me. How are you? We're also joined by Pop Sensation, CC Brez. Wow, that's a lofty is title. That, is that the first time? Take it. Take yeah, it. I'd like to oh, also no. make a disclaim, disclaimer that I'm not an expert in anything. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Solid. And uh, kind of running this show uh, as my kind of, you know, my guiding hand, my leading light. Kieran McGillis of Kieran McGuinness of Delarento. Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis <laughs> of, <laughs> of Top Gun fame. Kieran McGuinness of Delarento's fame. How are you? Very good, thank you very much. Okay, so take us through this. Uh, so do you want to know? Take what us happened? through nineteen eighty eight. So nineteen eighty eight is our year. 
um, Dublin Millennium. I'm going to set the scene. Uh, Perestroika begins. Gorbachev. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll. Adele and Rihanna were born. Last Emperor, Best Picture. And um, in music, uh, the music of the year, I guess, the big albums, Michael Jackson, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, Michael Jackson's Bad, and uh, the American Alternative really started to come through, such as Green, R.E.M., Surferosa, uh, by the Pixies, uh, Daydream Nation, Nation, Sonic Youth, stuff from, you know, Dinosaur Junior, stuff like that. So that's the kind of musical landscape that uh, that happened in 1988. That was occurring in 1988. But not on these shores. No, no. So um, do you want to take us through our albums? Yeah, we have uh, we have five records, as we say. Uh, one had to be disqualified due to an administration error. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're going to put that down as... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Essentially, we can blame Spotify for cataloging their albums in a very strange way. The years aren't always accurate. Can I explain this story? Because it's a much better story. Because I have an actual story behind this, which is <laughs> you, you know you got in contact with me, Kieran, and there was there was a list of things, and I immediately thought I'm going to go for. And this is partially my own fault, Planksty's The Well Below the Valley, because my dad, when I was growing up, used to play loads of trap music in the house. He was big into Planksty and Dedanon. And to be fair, I've seen them play live since then, and they're cracking to watch live when you see them on stage. And I was out this afternoon uh, for lunch with my mum and dad, and I was telling my dad what I was doing, and he always wants to know what's going on. And I said, I'm going to be talking about Planksty, The Well Below the Valley, was out in 1988, to which he said, no, it wasn't. He said, no, it was the early 70s, so mm-hmm. you have that wrong. And of course, I Wikipedia it immediately, 1973. Yeah. So that's your fault. Well, I think it's, I think <laughs> it it's is. Just, <laughs> on the opposite side of that, I don't, I, I don't know anything or how to pronounce. <laughs> Sorry, how do you pronounce it again? It's Planksity. Sorry? That's right. Planksity. <laughs> is the first one or the second one? Planksity. I don't know. Anyway, so the point is that I don't know. So, uh, but a big thank I, you to Rick Dado. As I said, Dado. I looked at the pictures of, uh, of Christy Moore and I said, oh, he looks so young. He, he aged so much between that and, you know, the early 90s. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I think the X is silent. The X is silent, okay. Well, now that Kieran has been buried six feet under, uh, <laughs> were there any records that didn't make our shortlist that anyone feels particularly strongly about? Well, well, first of all, the five that made the shortlist, I suppose you should probably go through and um, since Planksity isn't there, um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> excuse me, uh, this is going to run and run. Yeah, <laughs> uh, my bloody Valentine's isn't anything. The Adventures, um, Belfast Band, The Adventures, The Sea of Love, um, The Pogues. If I should fall from the grace of God, if I should fall from grace with God, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, I, sh- I, I just don't have them in front of me. I have, I have all the names of everything, but not the names of the albums because I'm an idiot. Um, and and uh, and you two's rattling home. And finally, the, our, our bonus entry. Yeah, the, the wild card, which was on my initial list, just because I thought I'd enjoy talking about it, was Enya's watermark. And I yeah. thought it'd be nice to throw it into the bear pit and see what happens. So, so now it's been promoted Enya. into, our, into our, our, our five notable albums of the year. Yeah, so, she's yeah. off the subs bench. So she's off the subs bench. She's in. Good. She's ready to go for the manager. Okay. <laughs> she needs us to talk about her. She needs a few quid. You know? We did need more women, though, to be fair. It was, yeah, it was, it was a, a lot. Bit of balance. It's a couple, you know, a couple of my bloody values. That was why I did it, I swear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gender balance and gender representation. Um, yeah, they are the five records that we'll be getting to. But like I say, before we get there, does anyone have any particular considered shouts for someone who are someone or someone or some act that might deserve a bit of a second shout? Going around the table. If oh. no one else is volunteering, I'll do. I'll do mine, which was "Toasted Heretics" mm. songs for swinging celibates. Um, I'm fairly sure, and I'm absolutely sure when this goes out, someone's going to correct me. My brother, who's three years younger than me was big into Toasted Heretic when they happened and this was their 
first album as far as I know and it came out on cassette so it was the only way you could get it they didn't have enough money to put it out on vinyl CD wasn't really a thing so my brother had this and whichever one was their second album also uh, on cassette and in my head it was always I was really into them they were from Galway um, they, they had lots of rude words in their songs they'd find <laughs> mm. I mean, even just the track listing on the, on the first album when you look at it uh, is really worth your time it's like Sodom Tonight uh, Black Contact Lenses the love theme from Yates the movie uh, Still Life with Girl The Best Things in Life are Mine and Galway Bay which eventually became one of those songs that ended up on one of their later albums as well but I always had the thing in my head of Julian Goff somewhere in Galway in a bed sit furiously wrapping out copies of the album and you know mm. they had, I think they actually sold it through, um, through mail order because they couldn't even get it in shops in those days yeah. so it was you know one of those ones I liked very much and of course no one's heard it so that's fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I listened to the Stars of Heaven album I thought it was really good and um, uh, did anyone listen to, listen to the, the Micro Disney album I thought you, you had listened to that one did you yeah a few times yeah I, I mean while I thought they were really good and really interesting it was funny because when it came down to and the Aslan album as well when oh. it kind of came down to which ones I thought you know, were the were the best. I, it was kind of clear with my choices. You know, yeah. The, the Aslan. I I was listening to the the Aslan record. Um, it was like first thing in the morning. I was getting ready for work, and I just had to stop listening to it because it was just putting me in a bad mood. And I was like, yeah, no, this is not one of my albums. And um, I just I'm going to listen to this way later when I'm maybe tired when I'm in a different mood. So yeah, it's, yeah. I I, I was trying to listen to. You know, little bits from here, little bits from there to try and see which, like you said, which kind of suited my mood and stuff. But um, the Aslan one, I'm, I was happy enough that it that didn't song, make this is, it. That song, This Is, though, is a, is, a, is a great song. It is a great is song. It, it is a great it's, song. It's, it's, it's a no, I, I guess they kind of went on to well, the third album. They had Crazy World and that kind of stuff. Yeah, see, like I'm, I'm originally from Finglas, so Aslan is like... It's a very big part of my life growing <laughs> up. Yeah. And the Bible you know, written by you're committing heresy, essentially. Oh, my God. No, nobody from my road in Finglas can ever hear, hear this podcast. Turn it off now. If you're <laughs> like, no, it's, it's a blasphemy. Okay, blasphemy well, would you be more partial, Andrea, to some wistful, heart-on-your-sleeve, big choruses, 80s, near-romantic kind of angst man exploring his own soul <laughs> this is my way of leading us into our first record that we're going to discuss uh, it's the adventures and the sea of love and it sounds like this So yeah, uh, I've got much respect for anyone who has the audacity to call a song "Drowning in the Sea of Love." Kieran, this is uh, this is your baby this week. So what do you yeah, got? Um, so Belfast Five Piece, The Adventures, um, and this is their second album. And yeah, "Drowning in the Sea of Love." It does sound like it's a euphemism for something, you know, very popular with the ladies. But uh, <laughs> I actually, <laughs> the first time I listened to this album, I didn't. I just like I just thought it was kind of the bombast, the the. The, the, just the incredible eightiesness of it, you know. There were there's there's parts of it that I thought they were just going to crack into, you know, standing on a rock, playing, you know, yeah. the American national anthem like somewhere mm-hmm. on Yellowstone with their hair, you know. Yeah. So much of that in it, like it, it's just from start to finish, it's so big. Um, there's a lot of cliches in the lyrics that I I found, 
you know, jarring at the start. The production is just massive. Every drum sounds like it's, you know, been recorded 10 times, laid on top of each other and then put through an echo chamber. Mm. Um, it sounds like loads of other bands as well. It sounds like Deacon Blue. It and remind me of a few things. Yeah. yeah, yeah Level yeah. 42. Uh, uh, like, Water yep. Boys, Simple <laughs> yeah, Minds. Sure. Yeah. yeah. All of that kind of stuff. It's crazy. But the one thing that actually uh, w- with listens... Um, I kind of, a lot of the stuff that I wasn't sh- sh- so sure about, I kind of I started to kind of forget about and like, I don't know, it's just a kind of a, um, I think there's a little bit of joy in, in it. You know, it sounds like they're kind of having fun. And I don't know, they're not embarrassed of anything, which is kind of great. <laughs> not that I'm saying they should be, but, you know, I don't know, some of the lyrics are just, they're very kind of, this is the 80s and, you know, my soul was on fire and all this kind of <laughs> stuff, you know. They're absolutely unapologetic in, well, in, in how, like, like, it's not ironic. No. It's not cheesiness. It's just they're, they're, was they're there doing it, you know. Was there I'm not sure. Was there? Like, I was thinking of, of all the albums, there's, uh, there's a huge amount of, I think, there's, I don't know what it is, like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Irishness, obviously, in... Not not so much in this album, but across you know the, the albums, the five albums, um, including Enya, and um, but there's also a lot of kind of American kind of a yeah. huge amount of American influence, you know, mm. as well. Like the Pogues kind of sounds like an Irish American band, you know. Obviously, isn't anything is definitely influenced by American music, all these kind of stuff. But the Adventures is very, it's like an impression of American. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I, I still actually thought it was really good. I thought Broken Land, that song, Broken Land, I think it's mm. got a, it sounds like there's bagpipes on it. I don't know if there is or not, but <laughs> it, I thought it was just a brilliant song, you know? And uh, there's another one called Hold Me Now, which I think they owe money to you too, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I've got the, yeah, yeah, you, you, you stole my line. It's like, I, I was saying like, hey, this record, like, you know, I have a lot of time for it and that's like this, like, as you've said, you know, like completely over the top romantic, that kind of way. Uh, it does get a bit samey here and there, as you said, Brez, and it's like, it ultimately reverts to type a lot of the time, even when something like Hold Me Now comes racing out of the blocks and I was like, oh, here we go. But like, I've written down here, I'm like, you know, uh, they probably reverted to life to avoid a legal writ from the edge, as it's hilariously close to pride in the name of love. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought the first track. What's the first track called again? Dreaming uh, 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 Sorry, yeah, yeah. The, that's the big song, right? Was really similar to China Girl. Really similar. Like the two chords are, are the same. Yeah. And I just, I just wanted, to li- I just wanted to put on China Girl. <laughs> Sorry, why we're on that subject? Um, but yeah, it's still a killer tune, but it's yeah. I, I just. Uh, Anyway, I, I, yeah. I, I, I it, it had more positives than negatives. Definitely, yeah. And like uh, something I've talked about on No Encore before, because I just won't let it lie, is it reminded me, a lot of this record reminded me of uh, Glenn Hoddle and Chris Waddle classic Diamond, Diamond Lights. Lights. Oh. Yeah, the yeah. most underrated pop song of the 80s. I'm not just saying that to, to is be... Is this also 80s unironic? Are we talking about uh, actually... The fact that that song exists at all, and it's a belter... Mm. Like it's like Red Seven's Harpy. It's just like I love it. It's so the tumbleweed rolling across the desk. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm with you on this one. I'm, I'm with you on this one. I'm, I'm a big fan of that song. <laughs> the only thing about the adventures is the only two tracks I knew of it were the first two, the singles, so Training mm. Sea of Love and Broken Land, and they are what I will describe um, with you know great disdain as radio songs because when i was growing up when i was because i was i was 15 in 1988 so i was you know buying music listening to stuff on the radio all the time and they were knocking about all the time but they were you're right they were kind of generic interchangeable songs that could have been done by any one of a dozen other bands and after you heard them for the 50 millionth time you just go on oh, no, well that's please, that second tune is really similar to the riddle by nick kershaw you know, yeah i can that. get that in the chorus yeah much better song though 
Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing about it is it's weird. It, the, the production, and every single song has a massive two minute long fade out you know which yeah. is just the most bizarre decision never <laughs> like fade out never like fade out so what do you do what do you do when you play them live do you just yeah. kind of creep down and walk away off the stage yeah. really slowly yeah, yeah it does feel like very identical it does feel very kind of like you know this band had a, had a shelf life written down but sorry Andrea yeah. oh just I was, I'm gonna bring my um, my mom and her music taste into it I wasn't born in 1988 I wasn't awesome. thought of yet um, but my, my mom has a massive disdain for 80s pop music which upsets me because I adore 80s pop music and I get the impression that she was maybe listening to like you were saying these these radio songs and this is the type of music that she kind of puts all 80s popular music into being this really over the top really cheesy really um unironically just in your face and so 80s and I think that that's what that this is the type of thing that she was listening to and she didn't like it which you know me being a rebel and everything makes me kind of like it a little bit more and uh, it made me grow up listening to a lot more 80s music so this album I was I was all over it when I was listening to it I was absolutely all over it loved it okay okay well and that kind of puts us one nil down so I think it's time to bring the sub off the bench we're going to go for Enya now and uh she sounds a bit like this. Okay, so that's Enya, that's Watermark, and uh, I throw now to Rick O'Shea, biggest uh, Enya fan in the room. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, let's not go that far. <laughs> I, I, when I saw this on the list, and the sequence is wrong in my head somewhere, because I don't know if any of you have ever seen the Steve Martin movie, uh, L.A. Story. Yeah. Yeah, he plays right. a weatherman. Mm. Uh, he starts getting information and stuff from a sign on the side of the road, and it's about this relationship he's having with someone. It's a really young Sarah Jessica Parker in it. Um, and it's a bit of a, the movie's a bit weird, a bit strange. It's, it's, it's not one of those things that gets shown on TV all the time as well. But in it, there's a couple of Enya tracks used. So I'm pretty sure when I was 15, I wasn't listening to Enya. I'm pretty sure given that it was the year of Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, which I still have my original copy of Mint Vinyl, never taken out of its cover, I'm fairly sure, with the original Japanese sticker set. And I'm, fa- show on a I'm fairly sure. <laughs> that, I'm, I'm fairly sure. Actually, I think it's in my parents' house. I think it's in the attic somewhere. Um, but I'm still on percent sure that, that, that that's what I was listening to but I saw LA story and there's one plinky plonky and I should hate Enya I mean it's just mm. it's this awful new agey and I should hate all this and sail away to be fair because I suppose Orinoco flow because it was knocked out on the radio all the time is one of those things that's burned for me forever but then you go into the rest of the album and there's really lovely little melody tracks that are just played on piano and ones that have these there's little ornate things of beauty in the album and it sold whatever you know a bazillion copies around the world and she bought her castle out in Kalini and you know managed to fortify herself away from the rest of the world as a result of it and so, she has a lot of cats there as well she lives there uh, with her cats she can afford as many cats as she wants yeah. apparently <laughs> neuter then, them everything and then a couple of years after that the, the, the Fujis sampled her not one of the tracks from from, uh, from Watermark but they sampled her in, in uh, Ready or Not mm. and then she almost developed this tiny little thing of cool that was happening at the time and maybe that's why 
I bought it, liked it and stuck it away. And every now and then, just when it was late and I just wanted something to, you know, zen out to before Spotify gave me access to everything that's ever been recorded. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a couple of things like that and Watermark was, was one of them. Uh, you mentioned uh, Ornoco Flow there, by the way. That's got an amazing film tie-in as well. It was actually used in uh, the David Fincher version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It's used during a torture sequence, and it, uh, apparently, like, oh. Daniel Craig and Dave Fincher were out one night, like, drinking during the shooting of the movie, and Fincher was like, I don't know what song to use during this moment. And Daniel Craig started pissing himself, and he was like, I've got it, I've got it, we're doing Ornoco Flow. And Dave Fincher was like, what the fuck is Ornoco Flow? And he was like, Sail Away! And he's like, the Enya song? <laughs> and it's in the film. And I remember seeing that film in a packed cinema, and that came on. And the reactions, the mirth, the, 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 is this really happening? Yeah. But it works. Yes, it is. It totally works. I don't know what that says about any I love that movies when the, when the music kind of jars with the... With mm, the kind of absolutely, yeah. Cool. Yeah, they were probably trying to find the, the most uh, pleasant song just to have that juxtaposition. Yeah, unpleasant like, scene. Yeah, very it's, unpleasant scene. It's stuck scene. in the middle with you when you're having your ear cut off. Exactly, yeah. yeah, exactly yeah it's that yeah. kind of thing. I, I imagine Enya being involved in any type of torture scene yeah, I'm, would I'm be sure jarring. When, I'm not sure when she sits down with whether it's Elvish language or whether it's her own made-up thing that she's going for to end up in a Hollywood movie in, a, in an unconventional way. But yeah, I mean, Enya is an intriguing prospect. I find and even with this record like I kind of picked it like as my kind of my outlier and you know I don't think it's anywhere near as strong as the records I've kind of ultimately gone with but like I agree with you Rick there is that kind of thing where I'm like I should hate this I should yeah. resist mm. this as hard as I've ever resisted any form of music but it does draw you in she's clearly incredibly talented I mean like it speaks the results speak for themselves highly creative kind of thing mm. as well you know it's 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 uh, kind of onto its own you know what I mean mm. and I think as well, as well that that kind of um that attitude that I think every Irish person has of I I should hate this because it's that really <laughs> over the top yeah. Celticism and mm. everything that we aren't and it's pander it, well, I, I don't think it's pandering but it would appear to pander and play up to those kind of notions of Celticism but uh, she it was in works, Clare, right? she, and that's where she yeah. she spent most, up to that point she herself was, and her sisters yeah yeah, so, in class, uh, yeah I suppose so, yeah. if you look at it in terms of like a timeline or or you know it was going that way she was always going that way mm. Canon was pretty like that you know? mm, yeah I think the really interesting thing about it is you know given that you know I was knocking around and watching television and watching Top of the Pops in 1988 that song and that album don't belong anywhere so you're right the, mm. in, in the 80s the pop charts are full of either you know dance music is almost about to happen dance is almost about to make the crossover Technotronic are the biggest band in the world like 12 months later um, you've got all of the grunge stuff just about to start mm. to happen from America as well you have all of that really highly produced you know pop rock stuff as well that's coming out of the States and in the middle of it there's Enya going <laughs> and it, you know it sells millions of copies and she has singles that are on top of the pops so that makes it interesting almost because she managed to wedge her way into a place that she didn't belong yeah. absolutely yeah. but it's actually I mean we're all talking we're talking about albums that deserve a revisit I suppose that's what we're doing and the funny thing is I would never like when I was making up this list you know um, you kind of a lot, a lot, a lot of these. You kind of go back and you get Irish albums. You get to kind of into the teens, and then the numbers start to fade. You know, it's it's hard to get maybe to twenty. You know, a lot of times, especially when you go back to, to nineteen eighty eight. Um, and this, I got this, and I and I thought, well, I wonder. I'll put it. I'll put it on the list anyway because someone. I just it was an out, as as I think it's been said a couple of times, an outlier, something that I just didn't know, like. And I, I, you know, I actually thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. I actually enjoyed mm -hmm. listening to it. Um, I found myself zoning out a little bit of a to at times. Um, I think that's okay, though. I, I, I don't I mean think that's, that's the plan. Yeah. Because if you can imagine, yeah. like, for this, I'm doing a certain amount of listening to in the background and a certain mm -hmm. amount of active listening where you're kind of going and maybe writing notes and stuff. And I found that whenever I was 
like actively listening to it, listening to the tracks, you know, you know, watching, maybe watching a couple of videos, which are all exactly how, exactly how you would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I was kind of just, you know, having it on the background, it just it just became very background. And I've said that already a bit, but that's one of the things that, that it that's why I didn't put it on, on my on my list. But, you know, listening back to it like it, it does like that song Orinoco Flow, as well as all the stuff that's going on in the in the in the immediate foreground, you know, the kind of, you know, spacey lyrics and all the rest. There's like really cool kind of electronic things like, you know, bipping away in the background with ca- counter melodies and stuff. And it's actually something that I think that even maybe even now kind of suits a bit more than it did in 1988. I kind of feel like there's more stuff now that that mm-hmm. might kind of um, that kind of I think that like with Spotify and all that kind of stuff, this would have a much bigger life maybe. Although saying that, it did sell a hell of a lot, didn't it? Yeah, it did a lot, yeah, but not, yeah. not not as much in Ireland. That's, though, that's <laughs> the thing. Yeah, but I think as as well putting Enya in with you know, the, the rest of the groups that we have here, the rest of the artists that we have here. It's interesting to revisit her because she's, as we said, she's nothing like the rest of them, but she's not she's not necessarily trying to be on top of the pop. She's not, like, she's, to me, more of, more something in classical genres, you know. Yeah. It's just something mm-hmm. that could, could have certainly done very well either way, whether she was putting it out in, you know, uh, in classical circles and not really having these big releases but I think the most interesting part is that she did that and then just this massive crossover and she's uh, like topping charts and she has been ever since she's uh, every single album she's released since has I'm n- nearly every single one has has gone to number one in the UK that she's released and that baffles me that's amazing and I think that's why it, it definitely deserves to be kind of re- revisited and revisited not necessarily in uh, as a pop record but just mm. as a musical work if that makes sense yeah. I, I always kind of st- stuck her in um, the same sort of thing with, with uh, Kate, Kate Bush mm. and Sade, you know. I know they're, I know again, totally Whoa, different. Oh, there now, Pilgrim. Hang on there now. Totally different Shade. genres, but, <laughs> but, but no, no, hear me out. Um, they, they all, like those three artists, like female, strong female, kind of like uh, not American, um, uh, you know, on this, this sort of side of the pond, you know, and all kind of carving out their own thing and all extremely successful, like crazy fans, mm. you know, and, and, and consistently kind of do, doing well, you know, but th- three, Three great, uh, you know, female kind of artists. out there as yeah, well. A bit yeah, strange, a bit strange, but different, yeah, a bit kind yeah. of quirky, you know. But uh, before <laughs> we move on to our next uh, title contender, Andrea, I have to ask you: Is Celticism a particularly exciting aspect of ethnomusicology? Um, it's it's an interesting thing to to look at, definitely in terms of Enya, in terms of her commercial okay. success. Yeah, that'll do. Let's see if it applies to our next record. Uh, this is it. Sounds like an Alice Cooper song by title alone, but it doesn't sound like an Alice Cooper song. We listen to it. This is "Feed Me with Your Kiss" off "Isn't Anything" by My Bloody Valentine. So that's My Bloody Valentine, isn't anything. Possibly an overlooked album when you compare it to Loveless, the behemoth release of their three kind of official, you know, studio length, studio full length records. 
Um, I put up a poll on Twitter about this, and I was like, what's the best album? And I was glad to see that MBV didn't get any votes, because it shouldn't. <laughs> uh, Loveless killed it, because of course it always will. And Loveless is incredible. But Isn't Anything, I think, has an awful lot of merit. Andrea, where do you stand? I voted for Isn't Anything in your Twitter poll. Did you? I did. Wow. Yeah. Um, but mostly because, right, I'd, I'd overlook this album, I will admit. I am, I'm a big My Bloody Valentine fan, and... Um, this, this, you know, this whole way that we listen to music on our playlists and stuff. I'd obviously listen to a few tracks off the album and then a lot off Loveless. But w- once I went back to give this a proper listen, I just, yeah, yeah, it, it is just full of extremely interesting music, really, really interesting music. And again, like I said, I wasn't born in 1988, but I was trying to figure out where, you know, alternative rock in Ireland was in 1988. It was basically nowhere. Um, like th- this type of alternative rock. I was trying to look at where Shoegaze was. Uh, we basically just had the Jesus and Mary chain, like, and not, uh, everything else was basically happening in between 1990 and 1995. There were, there were like the, the, bit, the big albums were, you know, like uh, Sonic Youth albums and things like that. But this, this was just such a, such a kickoff album it it started everything i mean it's it's raw it's messy it's in no no means perfect production on it at times is amazing at other times it's fuzzy and you don't really know where you are with it but that it's it's absolutely fascinating to me it's so noisy yeah my bloody valentine are one of those bands that i find are a challenge to write about and it can be genuinely irritating uh sometimes and like i wrote a thing for drown and sound recently uh the year they're looking at 1991 they're looking at 25 albums to consider instead of nevermind and loveless i kind of was like fuck i have to write about loveless i have to write like Mm. even just 100 words and i was like i can't find the words because this is ridiculous this album is ridiculous and you know i'm like it's a fever dream but like of course it is and like how do you possibly come to my bloody valentine with some with something new to say, they kind of operate under their their own niche. Uh, there's a really cool story that may or may not be maybe apocryphal, where it's like. Uh, the band members average two hours of sleep at night during the recording sessions for this, which is one of those kind of great sounding stories that you never hear anymore. I yeah, I read that, and they did the vocals in the morning, right? Yeah, and that's why they're. Yeah, yeah, that's why everything sounds, you know, dreamy, dreamy, and, and also yeah. like sometimes, like you know, you're like, was this mixed? It must have been, <laughs> like you know. But if I, I did my to... vocals in the morning, they'd all be really cranky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there would be no dreams involved. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's a massively influential record. I, I, I think it's great. I think it, it, it's the kind of album Ash might have made if they did a fuckload of acid. That's one of the <laughs> like, notes what? that I. That's one of the notes that I made. Actually, yeah. it really reminded me. Of Ash. Ash. Like at, at times, it sounds like very. <laughs> it really, like it Ash, really does. Yeah. I, I got that as well. If yeah. Ash, it does sound like a lot of America. It does sound like the DNA of yeah, a lot of American Italian. music. And that kind of like, for example, I thought I could hear Weezer in it a lot. Yeah. Um, like, isn't anything? And my my buddy Valentine are bands that I've gone back to. I know. You know, I was I was too young to 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 to, to have their music or whatever. But in two thousand and one, uh, I was uh, did a J one in New York, and um, I just went around the subway and I had a, a, a mini disc player, and I had loads of country music. Before I'd left, I'd been given all these things, and it turned out all the music were awful, apart mm. from uh, Loveless. And I just listened to it almost non-stop so um, when I listen to it now I can't do it without hearing the sounds of the subway in New York and, yeah. and feeling that and that thing and it kind of suits it that's a nice way to listen to that album but I actually yeah. never I, yeah because it's kind of formless as well mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. it's, it kind of suits just turning it on when you get on a, a thing and turn it off but I never listened to, to, to the first album and it's really weird because it actually sounds like it does it sounds like the 
just before it. You know, I know it sounds ridiculous, but <laughs> it sounds exactly like just yeah. the, the before yeah. Loveless, you know. Yeah. Mm. Loveless could not have happened if this album yeah. didn't happen Well, before. it's really weird because there's lots of stuff going on. Like there's a song called Cupid Come and it sounds like a, if if they'd gone in a different direction and become yeah. a kind of a more standard pop kind of version of a band. Mm. It, it sounds like that. The drumming in that track is amazing yeah. as well. So and then as the well, last minute is just like a relentless pounding. Like, uh, yeah. They do that on, on Feed Me With Your Kiss as well. It's that kind of thing where you're like, that formlessness snaps every now and then into just kind of like a, a hammer a hammer blow, like a drill thing. And you're like, mm. and you're, you can't help but like bop along to it because it's just yeah, so yeah. intense. It can also snap into really interesting and really pretty kind of m- melodic um, lines as well. I, I can say I absolutely hated the drumming on this album. <laughs> really? <laughs> I actually, I t- tell you what, I'm not a fan, you know, um, but I did actually really enjoy the, on the, the record, you know, and I mm. hadn't really given it a huge amount of, of space before, mm. but I did enjoy it. And I actually sat down and kind of go, okay, that's actually really good. That's really good. And then I was going, this drummer is driving me. <laughs> is it because it's kind of a, a little, at times, erratic? Like, he, mm. there's yeah. parts. The fills are funny. The fills. Yeah. 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 It sounds yeah. like he starts them on the and instead of the on the beat. Yeah, he's, he's on like the, the he's just on the at times, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a couple of times where it speeds and it slows, but I don't mind it. It sounds like, to I've be written, honest, you know. It sounds like a mad I loved that. demos. Yeah. I absolutely it does love make it. it gives you sort of oh, it puts you on edge. Yeah, it's it, really it's jarring and really kind of at, at times it can be difficult to to listen to. You know, yeah, like yeah, re- yeah. really loud on headphones while you're lying in bed trying to go to sleep or yeah, something. You know, lo- loveless is a bit more for that. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like with this, um, the the nice thing about this is that like there's there's times where and I'm as big a shoegaze fan as the next guy, but there's times where the those big clambering walls of sound can kind of you can just be like okay let's move on to something else yeah, yeah, but yeah. you can listen under it or you can listen to the vocals which are just used as, as an instrument they're it's not it's nice to hear the yeah. vocals as well it is it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice to hear yeah, it yeah. But, at, but at times you, you have to look for them and you have to kind of look for those really pretty mel- melodic lines underneath all this kind of cloudiness and yeah I do agree I, that I like it that. does sound like a little bit like demos for Loveless in certain respects yeah. and you know it's very hard to listen to that I will not think about a song like Sometimes which you can kind of hear the makings of here. Yeah. Incidentally, yeah, yeah, that's a lose my breath song. Mm. It's really loveless e. Karen, by the way, I, I must say, uh, uh, props to you for not writing a terrible song about doing a J one. So I, I'm very happy that that never happened. <laughs> uh, I'm, still, I'm still thinking yet, about how yet. about you wandering around New York listening to country music on a mini disc player made the most hipster thing I've heard. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think. John Voice. We've moved past the mini disc player a bit too hastily. Yeah. <laughs> can uh, can you actually, tell us just, more? No, I couldn't. Uh, I actually didn't. I ended up not. I didn't know what that is, but. Uh, you know when someone we used to swap media. You know, I don't know what. <laughs> when we used to swap physical media back in the old days. <laughs> we used to swap. Uh, yeah, I am feeling swap. very young. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Terribly, swap, terribly and, uh, young. Yeah, because right? for for a little while they were the, no one ever bought albums on mini discs. But they were great. Honestly, I'm not music. that old. Let's I, no, I, I remember my my brother getting a mini disc player and and him saying like something along the this lines the of this yeah. is like yeah. this is I it now. It's changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The music industry has changed yeah, because sorry, of did, this. Did you put a pair of giant headphones on you and say, "And this is the shins that will change your life"? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I was I was working in radio when mini disc players came along, and they were they were only ever really used for stuff like that because yeah. you record audio on them and then you take stuff off. You could edit on them which was re- you know that was the, oh my god we're digitally editing on something mm-hmm. look on this little mm-hmm. and then they break and you go oh, bollocks I've lost everything <laughs> yeah and they, they could <laughs> yeah. only hold like what like a couple of albums or something maybe like? one not much really? you were really yeah. lucky I think yeah. Yeah. strange yeah. process yeah, yeah but the, uh, the, it was great for mixtapes because it mm. was you could put like you know 
two tons. Anyway, anyway, anyway. No, go on. <laughs> keep digging. Keep digging. Come on, uh, Rick. Where do you stand on Kevin Shields and his sad banger army? I think I again because I was fifteen in nineteen eighty eight, and they just completely bypassed me at the time. Totally, I was probably buying Guns N' Roses. Actually, I definitely had a copy of Michael Jackson's Bad, and I don't even think I bought my first Cure album until about nineteen eighty nine. So because I think they were a band that completely bypassed me at the time, I never went back to at any point. And you're right, listening to them now, I pretty much agree with what you guys say which is that in a lot of places it's very wall of soundy and i don't mean that in a good way i mean that in a mm. kind of a, almost an oppressive way mm. and at the same time sometimes it does like with enya i'm going to say i found myself zoning out when i was listening to the album every now and then yeah. because mm. i was finding myself going yeah i've been here before okay and it sounds like, so i it, they completely bypassed me at that stage and I, I never went back to them i think though like i think it's interesting that you know they're on this list with the adventures and you too, because I think that my bloody Valentine, what I don't, I don't saying it was a, a statement or anything, but what they were trying to do was, I, I guess, a kind of a reaction to you two and people yeah. mm-hmm. and the adventures, because that's yeah. so bombastic, and the lyrics and and you too as well, it's just so kind of the world and uh, you know mm. that kind of gen- like generic thing you know and yeah, it's yeah. well the the edge said that they were uh, head and shoulders above uh, all other Irish acts or something along those lines I read a quote did they, you two were or that, <laughs> no, <laughs> no Bono said that <laughs> no that that uh, that my bloody Valentine where Billy Corgan said that Daydream the closing track on uh, Gish was a complete rip up rip off of the my bloody Valentine sound mm-hmm. and Another fact, Courtney Love said it influenced Hole's third record, Celebrity Skin. Oh, so wow. thank yeah. God. <laughs> That's the biggest feather in the cap possible. Well, let's Absolutely. see. Uh, is it head and shoulders, though, above our next record, which is The Pogues and If I Should Fall from Grace with God? And that sounds a little bit like this. That's the Pogues, uh, with their typical brand of traditional Irish misery. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you can probably tell by, the, by my candor here, I'm not the biggest fan. And I've ma- made some considered and detailed notes for this record, and my considered and detailed, detailed notes read thus. I really, really, really hate Fairy Tale of New York. Mm-hmm. So, come yeah. on, come at me. Well, it's funny because um, okay, this is the third album, and it's uh, they're the first time they had this expanded lineup. Uh, Phil Phil Chevron, who used to be in the Radiators, uh, joined them because he uh, came in for Jim Finer live, I think. Jim uh, Finer, Jim Finer, and then he came in uh, and joined the band full time. Kasha Reardon left the band when they kicked out. They start working with Elvis Costello, Costello, Costello. I'm just my my, my pronouncing Costello. Thanks, Costello. <laughs> awful. But um, so she left between the room and yeah, the end. Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. Room yeah, Sonny yeah. in the last. Yeah, year, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> Maybe so, we should talk about that instead. Yeah, really yeah, that, that's a really good yeah, album. Yeah. Does anyone have any? But thoughts the mad about thing that about this is, it, it is just I had to check that it wasn't a best of because it's every every Pogue song that I know nearly is on it. Mm-hmm. And the, the weird thing about it is, is I didn't think I knew this album, but um, 
from being abroad, playing in Irish bars, you know, and then when you go to a different country and you go to an Irish bar in the country, this is the album that they have on. This is the yeah. sound of Irish American kind of trad rock. You know, this is that sound that's influenced everyone. It's got, you know, it's got Freytale New York, and obviously, so it's their biggest selling album by tons. And every year, you know, it still sells sells albums. It's got um, thousands are sailing, which is an incredibly good song about. Um, uh, uh, Irish emigration, and it's also got songs with the the Dublin the Dubliners, and you know it, it's just got everything. You know, it also has like one of the sweariest songs ever, "Bottle of Smoke," mm-hmm. and a really good story. There's a song um, called uh, "Turkish Song," "Turkish Song of the Damned" is the the second track in the album, and um, it's called that because uh, the Damned had a song called "The Turkish Sh- Song." And when they read it on the, uh, uh-huh. it on the radio, they thought it was the Turkish song of the of damned, the damned. Mm-hmm. not by the damned. So they thought that would be a good name for a song. And they just wrote a song because <laughs> they had the title. <laughs> but uh, just on the album, I thought a couple of things positive first. I thought uh, the lyrics are really good. I thought at times um, <laughs> I thought um, it was very atmospheric and as well. I kind of there, there, there's a there's a, um, an instrumental on it called Metropolis, which I think is fantastic actually that is really really good yeah. one of my favourite songs in the album it's amazing it's like something yeah it's just brilliant but um, it's also I don't know I don't know whether it's me like I feel like I've heard this album before I heard it I felt like I heard it, it was, yeah I felt the exact yeah, it was, same it was way. like all of the music on it was what you'd expect you know it, it wasn't I just didn't feel it was that nuanced I don't know and I just don't feel like like I just don't feel like it's something that I just didn't feel like it was that deep at times. You mm. know, I, I, I found well, it as you say, it's the connect. sound of an Irish American bar. I mean, it's, mm. it's the sound of plastic patty. Like it's the sound of that kind of thing. Like it should, but it, should that be leveled at this band, or should that be leveled at culture being co-opted and bought and sold? You know, it's like, is it fair to call the Pogues out in 1988 for what would happen later on, and for the fact that if you walk into the same bar that you walked into back then, you're probably going to hear the same song? I don't know. I don't think you can. And again, for for two reasons my two thoughts on this are again with uh, Fairy Tale of New York if you think you hated try working on music radio for the last 20 <laughs> fucking years every single year it is something that you have to deal with and endure for four weeks of your life every year you can turn the radio off I can't so that's just my initial first thought second of which is the stuff off this again that ended up breaking through into the mainstream, where in theory possibly the Pogues shouldn't have, not just Fairy Tale of New York, but the Irish Rover, them and the Dubliners, they were on top of the pops performing that, which was just this bonkers idea of, you know, Shane McGowan, who's not built for visually for pop music, no. ending up on what was then, you know, one of the only places you could actually see bands performing on TV. And, and you're right, afterwards it's become one of those things that ends up being played everywhere. But at the time, I think. I'm not speaking from my own experience, but I'm presuming that it must have been viewed on as being, you know, as being a radical experience to find bands who were bringing some form of Irish traditional music into mainstream mm-hmm. pop music. You're right now it's ruined, you know, whatever, almost 30 years down down the line. But at the time, I don't think it, it was. Maybe we're looking at it with the wrong glasses. I don't know. Well, I was just on the way in. I was listening to uh, the radio and they were playing... Um, uh, they're playing uh, what's the name of the band um, the American band Boston shipping off to Boston by the Dropkick Murphys oh, oh, and it's got the that's all over this album I know it is they pretty much invented it you know and 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 
the legacy or whatever, if that's what, you, if that's what you want to call it, like, you know, the, whatever the people they've infli- influenced, whatever. It's Inflicted. terrible. <laughs> Inflicted, <laughs> Inflicted us with this term. Uh, but no, the, the people they've influenced are, I think, terrible bands. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, like, it's, ter- it's terrible stuff, like, you know. And uh, it's a pity because it does kind of taint it a little bit, you know. Because when you go back to hear some of this stuff, you, you just it reminds you of that stuff, you know. Mm. Like, for me, anyway, for that, that, that's what it does, you know. But, um, my my thing with with listening to the Pogues in 2016 though is that like I completely agree with with everything that you said that it 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 is kind of it's it's ruined for us because this but this album came out in 1988 nothing like this that has come really since and that's why we're still listening to these songs because nobody decided to bring out more albums like this and nobody yeah, yeah. decided to vary the the style or the genre or anything we're, we're just always perpetually going to be stuck with the pogues and like not to be a pogues apologist but like is that really their fault you know what well, i mean question, yeah. i want it's a t-shirt not... with pogues apologist <laughs> but, 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 here, but here's the thing though i mean like you know, if someone says, oh, "I'd really like to hear," I'd really like to hear some uh, some Irish. Do you have any great Irish trad rock, you know, or whatever? Are you going to be like, "This is the album," or mm. or are you going to say, mm, "You know, what, what do you say there?" Because this is the album. If you want to, if you want to give someone, yeah, it's got every, like it kind of like it or not. This is it. Yeah, it has, yeah. It has kind of everything, you know, mm. that you want in that like genre, which is entirely them. And this is the album. Mm. It's crazy. I think you know? it's interesting that he they, he can have. Fairytale New York and Fiesta on the same record, like yeah. you know, yeah. they're compl- I, and, and one other thing, like actually to go back to Fairytale New York, it is an amazingly well constructed song, like yep. you know, and the, the lyrics it's just are great. A, yeah, you can't listen to it. Yeah. You just can't listen to it. And we the, all, the, we the weird thing about the album is, that I think, as far as I remember, they were they were um, in a big contractual dispute with Stiff Records, mm-hmm. um, and actually a lot of the out like. The, the 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 songs with the the Dubliners were done two years before. I think, um, I think as far as I remember, um, um, Fairy Tale New York was done much before as well. So I think they had to wait. Whatever the previous album was, is it run suddenly in the last? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, is it? Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was three or f- three years before. <laughs> what year was that? That, that, that was eighty five. Eighty five. So it definitely yeah. was nineteen eighty eight. Okay. Clarify. But the point of it was is all that time they were kind of hanging around till they could re- release again and mm. and they were you know I think releasing singles or releasing EPs or something um, just to kind of get them through that time so it's kind of without going back to my original it is sort of a best of it is a, it's a hodgepodge of I think of a, an EP yeah so that's EP. why you have the differences in styles yeah and, and the different like kind of stuff going on and just it's weird I've never I haven't thought about this in years but the post Kirsty McCall thing there is another song that's almost impossible to get because you can't get it on Spotify rights have kind of ruined it they did a cover version of um, Miss Otis Regret, Regrets and Just One of Those Things for a charity album I think the year following that was full of Cole Porter songs mm-hmm. but they had contemporary artists doing Cole Porter songs so mm-hmm. Sinead O'Connor saying you do something to me um, they had David Byrne doing Don't Fence Me In it was an album oh, full wow. of people doing the most extraordinary stuff it was called Red Hot and Blue in fact I think there was a couple of albums came out after that but they did uh, a duet on that as well and I've been looking for I used to have a CD copy of it years ago which has long since gone in and moved from somewhere to somewhere but obviously it's not on Spotify for rights issues so if you can you know wherever you may find it um, grab a copy of it it's a really cracking album there's some really dodgy stuff it's it, probably on one of Kieran's mini discs yeah. it could be on your mini discs <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but that, like I think there's like you know it's mythologised it's mm-hmm. you know it's been talked about so much uh, and all that period but um, I guess the question is is that is it you know is it is it great 
because of all the things that make it great or are all the things that make it what it is you know now not as relevant you know it's kind of a difficult Mm. question like I was I was really trying to be as objective as possible listening to it I just found it impossible and I was like do you know what I wasn't alive when this album came out and this album has just been in my life in one way or another you know but whether in the background or whether it's fairytale new york at christmas at the end of the night or whatever um it's it's just it's been in my life in one way or another so there was no way of being objective so i was like i'll be subjective and i don't like it (laughs) but this is the thing about the pogs is i listen you know on spotify it sometimes it skips ahead to recommended listens and stuff Mm. and there was an album uh, a live album from 1991 and it was, um, if it was, it was the first track. If I should fall uh, from grace of God, and it was in, unintelligible, you know. So actually, and on the album, he's so, you know, he's because you know it's so angry and punky at times, yeah. and it's a mix of all that kind of stuff. But that sort of wasn't really them after that. So this is this is the Pogues. This is this kind of epitomizes everything. It's their biggest selling album. It's their most successful. It's where all mm-hmm. the big songs are, and it was probably them at their peak at their. You know, I, I remember um, uh, Philip Chevron and um, Jem Finer. I think I'm saying that right. I hope I am. Um, said it was their peak. You know, so mm. this is this. If you want that, this is it. You know, yeah. so yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, before we move on to our final record and a band that were visually cut out for the top of the pop studio and various other ones across the years, uh, I guess the final word on Fairy Tale New York I'd like to say is that if you were a taxi driver and you pulled up outside someone's house at four in the morning and you blared that song. <laughs> You owe me a significant apology if you're listening. So, our final record uh, is a a little band by the name of U2 with a contentious album by the name of Rattle and Hum, and it sounds like this. So that was Desire by U2, a very popular song in the U2 canon. Is Rattle and Home a very popular album in that canon? As I say, it was quite divisive. It was supposed to be kind of a scrapbook of the Joshua Tree tour and kind of, you know, the fallout from that. And it kind of got blown into a bit of a bigger thing. Uh, there was, of course, an accompanying rockumentary. Uh, back in my extra vision days, that DVD would sell constantly between the years of 2003 and 2007. So U2 fans in this country keeping that alive. And yeah, I mean, like, essentially, if you listen to what Ed says about this record, he says that the whole thing was not meant to be this thing that people took it as. It was meant to be just like a playful thing, like an affectionate kind of document of what they were up to at the time with some new songs, some live songs and some covers and, you know, almost like kind of like this big hodgepodge of a, of a record. You know, bringing that as your sixth album on the trajectory that they were on, I can see why some people would have a backlash. But a combination of that perception of the band and the fact that, like, the studio involved made it into a bigger thing. It was meant to be this little indie project and it became this giant kerfuffle for them. So a lot of people don't like this record. A lot of people do like this record. What's our general consensus on on this? A tricky one for you two, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was I was born in 79, so I was, um, I was nine, obviously, in 88. But uh, I remember... my. In, Previous the previous record obviously was was Joshua Tree, which is an enormous record, and, and obviously it's obviously going to be hard to follow something like that up. But remember my my, my dad ringing me from work. Uh, I was at home in eighty seven, and I remember him uh, uh, saying, "I bought the Joshua Tree on on the cassette." You know, he went into the version and bought it, and he was like, oh, "I'll bring it home with me this evening." You know, and I remember uh, just kind of 
literally standing at the window kind of waiting for my dad to come home with the tape and, and eventually he pulled up and I ran out to the car and he gave me the, the little whatever paper bag and I the tape and that was it and it was played non-stop so I had been a fan but the Joshua Tree really solidified that for me at that age you know it blew my mind you know so um, when this came out I didn't know what to make of it I, I hadn't ever uh, I hadn't ever heard a live album before you know what I mean it was always mm. studio records so it it kind of First off the bat, hearing Helter Scatter and, and the live kind of thing, I just didn't know really what to make of it. You know what I mean? It was it kind of I just I couldn't didn't know how to process. It. I couldn't really figure out what it was because I was only a young guy at the time anyway. I was only nine, so. But um, I kind of enjoyed the energy of it. Even you know, going back to it now at the time, I enjoyed the energy of it. Going back to it now, I think the sound of the actual live recordings are just not great. You know, um, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it stands up really. Uh, it definitely doesn't stand up, stand up to what came before or came, came after. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it might have been something that was rushed, you know, and put out for the wrong reasons. And I think that the cowboy hat thing as well, like in the whole Americana thing, they had done it on um, Joshua Tree, but I think I think it was just a little, a little yeah. overboard on this one, you know what I mean? I think they, they you know. Anyway. I, it's, it's, I, think it's, I think it's mad. I think it's where you two just went... Over the edge, you know. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 again, you two totally. Pa- like I was too young for you two, sort of in their prime. Yeah. Um, and but my cousin Connor was, and still is, like proper obsessive you two fan. Like, I think he's probably been everywhere in the world watching them. Um, he, he's, I was out in his flat in Tala, I used to, in Finglas, and I used to go to his um. Uh, uh, his place after college you know and he would just have piles and piles of videos and it was just you two you two you two all the way up you know and it was it was crazy you know but I think there's nine songs on it that are, would have been a studio album you know I agree yeah yeah and I think if that had been an album like All I Want Is You is the last track and it it's is it's absolutely incredible you know yeah. and there's lots of interesting stuff on it um, God. otherwise but you can't you nearly can't you nearly you need to make a playlist and take off the the odd covers. Like I don't know what they were trying to do. Like, like Bono has a saying. He's like, "Don't don't ever compare." I can't remember the saying, but it was something like. <laughs> I was going to say it, and then I went. That sums up Bono. Yeah, I don't know what to say, but it was something like. Yeah, he's like you know, allow yourself basically with people above you, not below you. You know, or like you know, connect with people above you, not below. Mm. And there's loads of that here. There's like you know, uh, Bob playing with Bob Dylan. There's covers of Beatles songs. There's you know, all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. There's BB King is there as well. BB King and there's yeah. clips of uh, of you know, uh, you know, classic Met My People Free, all this kind of stuff, which you're kind of saying there's a gospel choir. In yeah, there. gospel choirs, and as well the live versions kind of just sound over-egged they all sound like over-egged well, well, you, you get his voice you get his accent where like, like I mean like I, at one point like he's doing this kind of faux Irish American thing where he sounds like Michael Fassbender in X-Men First Class mm-hmm. at the yeah, end of the movie yeah. when his accent slips and for no reason mm-hmm. he starts going brothers this mutant fight you're like, you're like, you're like, you're like, you're like what the hell is happening yeah, what yeah. film am I Bono watching Bono hasn't now? actually really stopped doing that though no but this is this is intense like yeah, there's part where he's like we're all out there and I'm like no hang on a minute hang on a second That no that's not you is it yeah. but yeah of course you know it's Bono so fair enough and Asterix goes next to everything he does but this is ridiculous <laughs> but there, there was a bit and like um, I only got into U2 in the first half you know in the, two, the, two, the 2000s um, with all you can't leave behind and stuff like that and when I was listening on Spotify, I was walking uh, this morning um, and it went to a song called Kite, which is off that album. Mm-hmm. And 
it actually kind of I r- really I made me really upset you know it made me it was just it's, it's a gorgeous song totally caught me off guard and I, I connected entirely with it and it was mad it just blew the album away then you know the all the the rest of the album apart from all I want was you I suppose just came across as hollow and bluster and you know, it just didn't, it just felt like try hard, you know? Well, speaking of bluster, Rick, we were talking earlier on, you think the way that this record opens is particularly contentious? I, it does. The very beginning of it is the cover of Helter Skelter, where he goes, you know, the Beatles, or Charlie Manson still listened to the Beatles, and now we're stealing it back. Yeah, yeah. What? Who? What? On behalf of who? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. With? I remember thinking that the very first time I heard it. I, look, I think there are pros and cons about this album. I was never a U2 fan at the time because they were those guys who were always on the radio again and every song they had particularly around the Joshua Tree because it had had so many singles off that were played off the radio so they were ruined for me and I couldn't really listen to any of them without you've heard them 10 million times so they just start to disappear back into the wallpaper Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like that with this as well because singles a go-go off this again I completely agree with you All I Want Is You is probably my favourite U2 song and, and it's by far the best thing on the album but when you look at where it falls in their in their history it's immediately after the Joshua Tree so there is an element of what are we doing next what yeah, happens yeah. here How? Wh- where was the and you're right it does feel a little bit like it's not a proper studio album mm-hmm. it's a bit of a combined with the with, with the, the, the movie that was made as well and the live stuff thrown in with the other stuff it's all a bit experimental and a bit and it's then when you realise the next album along is Actung Baby so there's that schism in their whole history where they go right reinvention number one here we go mm-hmm. and then they become something completely different immediately after that I probably the first U2 album I bought was Actung Baby so I, I got into them then, then at that stage and, and again I found this album at the time really hard to like mainly because you're right the live stuff doesn't really sound particularly awe-inspiring I mean I've, I've, I'm not the world's biggest U2 fan I've seen them once ever they were great but it was 1997 it was a long time ago um, and I just don't know about this in terms of net. I mean look obviously it's the biggest selling probably out of all of the albums that we're looking at here today yeah. and if you went down to the street there and asked people out of that list of albums which was their favourite out of them this is probably going to be 14 it 14 million albums yeah. and one of the only double albums to ever hit the top of the American charts I think um, the last one before that was uh, 1980 was The River by Bruce Springsteen and yeah. hasn't been done very much that a double al- mm. like the, like mm. you know there's ambition there's a lot here you know yeah. um, and there is like there's bits I always think that you two were really interesting around was it the late 90s they did Passengers and they did Pop I think they're interesting albums you know I wish they go back to that I love like, that it's way more yeah. interesting like, yeah, yeah. but I think All That You Can't Leave Behind was a really good mix that, for me that's one of my favourite that albums. is a really good record but yeah. I guess that's in my kind of you know, I, you know, I didn't buy them in the early ages so maybe it would be different if you don't forget the fire or whatever but you know yeah, it's just I just think this I don't know. It's just a funny one, you know. Like it's it's a it's a weird U two album, and it's a weird album. Like you know, this is an Irish album, but like the, the, the question is, is uh, everything about it is so un-Irish. It's like really trying to be this Irish American thing, you know. Yeah, and that's yeah. what, that's what I was thinking about all these uh, albums on the list. Like any, you can say maybe there's a lot of Irish in that, you know. But uh, the rest of them, the, the Pogues, uh, it's Irish American, you know. Mm. The, uh, the 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 adventures. That's kind of. Uh, you know, I guess a, a version of American Irish, you know, 80s. UK yeah, yeah. 80s thing, you know, and then uh, obviously My Bloody Valentine's a very American kind of. Yeah. You know, it, no, no one's listening to that and going, this is an Irish album, you know? Yeah. But it, it's funny where everyone was at that time in Ireland. It's like th- 
where's the, the where's where are the bands making the 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 statements about you know Dublin? Where's the Damien Dempsey? You know, and may, maybe it would have been Planksy if they had been on it. You know, <laughs> maybe it would have been. You know, but joking aside, but like you know, it's it's really in, it's a really interesting year for Irish music. I was looking at um, an aggregator site. And it was uh, the top twenty, uh, tw- top twenty rated albums of the entire thing of the entire year, and My Bloody Valentine is f- number five, um, and uh, uh, what you call it? Sorry, U two is like f- number fifteen, and the Pogues is like number ten, and that's amazing, you know. Mm. But none of them scream Irishness at anyone, you know. Like, but I suppose at the t- like in in nineteen eighty eight, there was like again wasn't there, but. <laughs> I guess with everything that was going on in this country politically, there there is a sense of disenfranchisement. There is a sense of kind of looking elsewhere. There was really there's a a, the height of of emigration. Yeah. So it 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 makes sense that we didn't have definitive Irish sounding albums because we didn't have definitive Irish identities at that time. Everyone was leaving. People were coming back or. But there was—it's kind of—it's—it's it's just at the end of the MTV generation, I suppose. And mm. well, and is this w- is it a quote-unquote sellout record because it seems like it's there to solidify their American fan base. Like it's—it's it's not so much. Well, that's that, the buzz well, that's, I got off. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's the kind of. Uh, the, the, it, it it is one way, like a U two apologist w- would say. It isn't, you know. I'm I'm not a YouTube apologist. I do think it is them selling out, and I also think that it's that you can't really bring well, I think out this, this as a for, album. It just had to happen for the the next couple of albums. They pulled it out of the bag on on the next one. I think you know, even though at that point, by that point, I had moved on. I, I that was the last thing I was into. But um, yeah. the question would be, if you were releasing this album these days, would you take all of the studio tracks, release them as the album? take all of the live stuff, release it later on as extras, either, you know, on, on a, a, an elongated album, which so many bands do these days. And would it be a better, stronger album if you simply took out all of the live stuff? I, I think, I think that it would be easier. Equally yeah. as indulgent. But I, I found it. It is, but I'd say still say yes. It's yeah. skipping, across, skipping around quite a lot, you know. Yeah, but it's bloated, see, for sure. Like, I mean, yeah. But it's, yeah, 17 songs. And but they could afford to be, because at the time they were just, they just crested into being, mm-hmm. you know, the biggest band in the world, TM, at the time, because it was post Joshua Tree, it was post Live Aid, and you know they they had become those guys who were literally you know straddling the world. I feel like some of the critical notices should be recorded here. Rolling Stone described it as calculated in its supposed spontaneity. The Village Voice <laughs> said that U2 suffered from profound ignorance rather than pretension on an album that was terrible by almost any rock and roll fan standards. Ah, that's Ouch. And the New York Times said. Each song was genuinely egotistical and embarrassing in a different way. <laughs> Jesus. So there you fair. go. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I, I, you know, I mean, you, you supported you too, right? I did, yeah, yeah, well, we did, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, I mean, did you feel, Yeah. Well, how did you feel with their... Kind were, they, of, were they calculated in their you know, uh, supposed sponsor? No, day? and like, I, I, like, I'm not, as I said, I'm not a fan, and I wasn't, I wasn't a fan since I was a kid, you know. I, I kind of moved on very quickly after, after around that time, you know. Um, but... They, whenever I met those those guys, they were more than nice and 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 uh, you know what I mean. Obliged us. They were very very good. They, they were big fans they're of loose. De- they're decent. Like, they're just decent dudes. Like they're not, yeah. they are. I, I don't I don't like the Bono bashing thing at all. I, I never liked it. You know. I think it's a real it's a real you know it's a bit of a nasty side to to the Irish kind of thing. You know, just to kind of I think it's a bit snide or whatever. But you know, 
Yeah, I, I had a good time. When you shook his hand, though, were you like, what the fuck is rattling home about, man? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. All right, so it's crunch time. Can we decide a gold record here? Can we decide the perfect of these five? Or are we going to have a lot of things cancel each other out? Because I feel like, you know, it's it's been a very interesting one. Uh, all five records that are here are worthy of talking about. But I guess, Kieran, if you had to pick one. Oh, if I had to pick one. Or, um, or, what, or what is your gut telling you here? Um... My gut is telling me that out of all the albums that are on this list, um, I think that the one I'll probably go back to is, is, isn't is anything. Um, I, I can't see myself going back to U2 or The Pogues or The Adventures. Um, I, think it's, I think it's so I would vote for isn't anything. Do you know what I mean by that token? Sure. Solid endorsements. <laughs> well, the thing about it is, is it's funny because none of them blew my head off in the way that, and Enya didn't, bl- none of them blew my head off, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of appreciated a lot of them. Um, in previous episodes of this, I've been like, yes, definitely. But for this one, for me, yeah, isn't anything. Yeah. While, um, but the thing is, it stands in the, in the fact that it isn't loveless <laughs> and it kind of makes yeah. me want to go and listen to loveless mm-hmm. and sit in the New York subway. Okay. Um, uh, Brez. Yeah, I, I, I actually exactly the same. Um, same uh, vibe as Kieran, you know. Um, out, of the, out of these ones, it definitely was the one that I kind of I, I thought was the cleverest record, and the and, and the record that you know um, kind of just had more creativity in it and more. Just I liked the way it was messy. I liked the way it was for all the reasons we were talking about earlier on. But definitely, yeah, I'd have to I'd go the same vote as Kieran on that one. Yeah, my bloody fancy. Ricochet. Yeah, I don't feel passionate about anything in this list. You're spoiling your vote? It reminds, me, it reminds me of other things I'd rather be listening to uh, by extension of other conversations <laughs> that we've had tonight. Although, to be fair, I don't ever really find myself going back and listening to a lot of stuff from the late 80s almost ever. So maybe there's a bit of that as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm spoiling my vote. Nothing. It's got harder Uh Well, you know, I mean, like that's just, you know, like frostiness abends. But well, what's your vote, Dave? My vote is, of course, my buddy Valentine isn't anything. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, I, I do agree with the the kind of the caveats. I do agree that you know it set the scene for a much stronger record, and you can you know you, it is almost like watching like remember OEM did that kind of like live rehearsal thing in was the Olympia like, yeah. yeah, and it's almost like watching that. It's almost like kind of like seeing these seeds being planted. Not to sell it short, I do think the record is great. I do also agree, particularly with Ray Queer, it's like you know you can totally walk away from this record while it's still playing and come back and be like yeah grand because it is overwhelming it is a barrage but I do love that style I love that sound I love what that sound led to not just for my buddy Valentine with Loveless but for other bands as well so that Blur, uh, Blur by the way took uh, Beetlebum from um, one of those tunes they did remember. yeah yeah and also Definitely there's a there, there's a one of the songs uh, is called oh shit what's it called <laughs> it's called No More Sorry and No More Sorry sounds like the weirdest Bond theme ever do you know that song that's my favourite yeah, track yeah. it's your favourite track yeah, I it's love so that weird. track <laughs> it sounds like a the, it, which one, yeah it was at the um, it's halfway through I think it's after um, it's the fifth no track sorry, yeah, it's fifth it, track it sounds like the theme tune to Taxi Driver to me uh, <laughs> Bernard Herman Bernard Herman yeah okay. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought it was really similar and that beat the, the Beetle Beetle Bum track was oh, yeah, I can see it but I can't feel it I think I think they took to lifted that completely, like you know. Make a phone call to the lawyers. Bruce, before we yeah. finish, can I ask you? Do you have the visitors book from a B and B? That's really <laughs> I impressive. I think I got that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. When, when I when I pass away, you can sign this. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> it is it is pretty striking. Uh, what's pretty striking for you, Andrea? 
It's my bloody Valentine, Jesus. Dave. Rick, I feel surprise, like you know, surprise. Uh, it feels like we're, we're doing this horrible four against one thing. I'm really sorry, That's, but I, um, I, I, I feel no offense in this. <laughs> I feel I feel all the more zen. No, I think that they are like this. This album is a snapshot of you know what the the workings of these these guys becoming Ireland's first proper like almost alt- like. Like like like, um, postmodern alternative group. Do you know what I mean? And they went they went on to influence bands like the Smashing Pumpkins. They went on to influence stuff that Trent Reznor has done. And it's mostly because of the influences that I, that I think that this album is definitely worth a revisit and worth kind of looking at. Not only in terms of just the album, but everything that it's kind of done since. All right, uh, that's pretty. That's pretty straightforward, pretty cut and dry at the end of the day, uh, and I fully agree. Uh, you can look out for a supporting article on this on headstuff.org, probably with lots of gushing by myself and Andrea, and but not by Ricochet, for sure. They'll, they'll be... Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, look, I must say, thank you all for coming in, and thank you all for trying to shape this unwieldy year that was 1988. We'll, uh, we'll close out this week with a track from the winning album, The Gold Record. Isn't anything. And I guess we'll go with uh, Andrea's top pick of No More Sorry. Oh, that's lovely. So, uh, yeah, my name is Dave Hanaretti. This has been a very special episode of No Encore, The Revisit. We'll be back to you again soon. Thank you.
This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. This isn't just basketball. This is the NBA playoffs. And with William Hill Sportsbook, you can dial up the playoff intensity from the palm of your hand. Just download the William Hill mobile app and your first bet of up to $500 is risk-free using promo code RADIORF. New users only. Must be 21 years or older and present in Virginia to bet. Paid and free bets. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat our confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. William Hill Sportsbook. Proud partner of the NBA. Let's make it interesting. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly. But sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.